I'm Monica Pena, the SVP of Investor Relations for Clientele Capital, a venture firm based in Colorado, founded in 2015. We will feature discussion on self-care, cannabis, travel, wellness, and parenting to help you make your life as fulfilling, meaningful, and filled with joy as possible. Today, we'll be talking about product development in the cannabis industry with our special guest, Asa Oitinen, the Director of Product with Clear Cannabis. Asa has a background in manufacturing and analytical testing. He currently works on product innovation, research, and development, which is why we are so excited to talk to you. Thank you, Asa. Of course. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Tell me a little bit about how did you get into product development and what are some of the most exciting or interesting aspects of creating new products? So I got into product development when I was working a commercial testing lab in California called CannaSafe, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, But they, at the time, were the top testing lab in the state. So I was working on potency testing and method development for the instruments that we use to test potency on cannabis, which we can get into another time. Very interesting. There's a lot more to it than than people think. But interestingly, the the skills that go into doing analytical testing actually really closely resemble the same skills and knowledge you would need to formulate uh, infused products, especially uh, products with a certain potency. So when I was doing that, I was kind of looking to get back in R&D. Um, I had done a good bit of lab research when I was in my undergrad. And uh, a former uh, boss of mine uh, contacted me because he had started a, a job at a new cannabis company and was looking to hire somebody on um, as an R&D associate. So I had the, the know-how on how to formulate products and uh, a lot of lab experience. And it just kind of worked out. Um, that was how I got into it. I think you know, the most interesting or exciting aspects of creating new products for me personally is it's the knowledge that something I'll get to, you know, work on or or make or, or even just have a, a small part in will be put out onto the market and hopefully people will get to try it. And I think, you know, just getting to see somebody enjoy something you make has always been a really big value I've had. And the opportunity to do that on a, a larger scale with a company, you know, who has the resources to be able to distribute products or help distribute products to a lot more people was was pretty endearing. Excellent. Can you talk a little bit about what have been some of your favorite projects? I think my favorite projects have been the one I'm working on now, which is uh, to develop these uh, infused tablets, um, pills, right, uh, for direct compression, which is just a process of basically pressing pills. But beyond that, I think the reason I like it so much is is because it incorporates work that I've been performing for about the last three or four years in uh, improving the delivery of cannabinoids into the the you know the human body. Only a small percentage of the cannabinoids that you would consume in a traditional edible would make their way to your receptors. So uh, because of THC and CBD and and all the cannabinoids having such a high Hydrophobicity, they're very afraid of water, um, means they're very insoluble in the human body for the most part. And, and a lot of the work I've done has been on improving that absorption into the body. There's a lot of different techniques for that. I'm sure a lot of people have you know, heard the term uh, nanotechnology or nanoemulsion. Um, that's a most, the most common one. Um, that was the first one I, I kind of learned about this through and, and got into and you know, made some successful nanoemulsions back in the day. So the tablets and, and all the work I've done recently has been simplifying that process and not only making it a lot easier for, for anybody to be able to manufacture cannabinoids that are much more easily absorbed, but also to incorporate that into final product. I think that's probably been the most exciting thing I've been working on. In terms of product development, like you said that it can be hard. It's, it's scared of water, 
What was yes. the word that yeah. you used? Hy- hydrophobic. Yeah. Hydrophobic. Okay, scared of water. So in terms of eating it, it can be hard to digest and get it into your system because it's hard to get it to mix with something so you can digest it properly. Right. So what is maybe the best format then to absorb cannabis? If we wanted to go with the absolute best format, direct injection would be the best. So uh, there's a reason that uh, when you go to the hospital uh, that IVs are used. It's because delivering drugs or anything directly through injection or through a needle into your bloodstream is the most efficient way to ensure that you're getting the full dosage that you're you're preparing of whatever drug you're delivering. You know, it eventually it will be metabolized by the liver as your blood gets cleaned through the liver, but it's going to go everywhere else first. Edibles are kind of the other end of that spectrum where uh, if you eat cannabinoids, even though they will absorb into your circulatory system eventually, they're going to have to go through the liver first and they're going to get processed. And your liver does exactly what it's supposed to, which is destroy foreign substances. So it will begin to metabolize cannabinoids. You know, delta-9 THC gets metabolized in something called 11-hydroxy-THC. Um, and a good chunk of that will be metabolized before any of it actually makes its way into your body. So you know, we use the term bioavailability, which is basically just describing if you take a drug through any, you know, method of delivery, whether it's injection or an edible um, or smoking, how much of that is actually making its way into your bloodstream. Uh, for edibles, it's close to probably about 5 to 10%. And I'm kind of throwing that number out a little bit, but if memory serves, it is down there um, for a traditional edible with no with no assistance or no no other treatments made to it uh, to help improve that absorption. What's interesting is cannabinoids are actually, they absorb very well. It's just the solubility that prevents them from moving properly in a way that allows them to absorb. So if they were a BCES class four drug, um, which is just basically system used to describe different kinds of drugs and how they uh, interact with, you know, being taken up by the body, that would mean they'd have low absorption and low solubility. I don't know if edibles would work at all, but because they absorb well, Edibles have worked, they just don't work very efficiently. So improving solubility helps allow cannabinoids to move where they need to quicker before they get destroyed by the liver. So when you're developing a new product, then you have to take into account the consumption format. Then so much of it is personal, right? right? So if somebody takes an edible and they have an empty stomach versus a full stomach, that's all going to affect on like how much they feel. 100%. What you're describing is is the food effect. It's actually a very big effect. So um, typically, especially with hydrophobic molecules like cannabinoids, when you eat food, your body will respond to that by increasing digestion, increasing absorption of, you know, fatty acids, hydrophobic molecules that can actually improve the amount of time and the bioavailability of cannabinoids. On the flip side, if you haven't eaten, it can reduce it. But the problem there is it's inconsistent. So you know, one of the things that we've done with the technology we've developed is actually uh, bypassed the food effect. So one of the, the biggest goals when we're trying to improve the delivery of any molecule, but THC in this case, or cannabinoids, is to get around those kinds of other effects by just not allowing them to have an impact. So if we can make cannabinoids move in a way that's, you know, independent of the amount of food you've ingested, that's actually a really big improvement, because now we're not worried about you know, oh, you have to eat within an hour before you take this edible in order to get the same effect every time. It's, you know, if you did or didn't, it shouldn't matter. And that's that's part of the goal that we we have for sure. But yeah, there's a ton of things that can have an impact on that. And some of them are genetic. There's a class of enzymes called CYP450 enzymes that are responsible for helping work as kind of a, a roadblock against foreign substances. They're very heavily populated in your liver, but they exist all over your body, in your nose, your mouth. 
and they exist solely to metabolize foreign molecules, things that your body doesn't want, um, things that it does want, breaking them down into components that are are utilized. The expression of those is genetic, genetically dependent, and it's why some people can eat hundreds of milligrams of THC and never feel anything, and then other people can have you know a two point five milligram edible and be high for twelve hours. It just that very much can significantly impact how that how that works. Definitely makes it difficult to make consistent products when you don't know the biology of all the consumers taking the product. Totally, it does. And and the FDA recognizes that and also requires things to be consistent. So I know we're nowhere near this point yet, but you know, looking at the future, if, if we're looking at kind of regulatory changes, if the federal government or the FDA were to take on cannabinoids and treat them the same way as they treat other compounds, then I think most of the products on the market, as far as edibles or ingestibles go, would not be considered functional up to the degree that the FDA requires. So they would have to overcome those problems we're talking about and make the the experience more consistent to prove that the the drug is going to function the same way for everybody, the way that it's intended to. And just kind of a side note on that, because of that and because of the difficulty in doing that with hydrophobic molecules like cannabinoids, there's been a, a really big deficit of hydrophobic drugs in the market for a long time because it adds difficulty in order to make final products that deliver drugs consistently um, when they're hydrophobic. And so it it was almost a general rule in pharmaceutical sciences for a long time, uh, particularly in the US, to just avoid drugs below a certain, you know, hydrophilicity or or that we're too afraid of water. We're seeing that shift now and cannabinoids are, are kind of perfectly positioned to take advantage of and help uh, you know, research in cannabinoids are helping to boost the the addition of a lot of those hydrophobic molecules, which is exciting because there are a lot of really useful drugs that just weren't used at all because they were too hard to deliver um, or they didn't, you know, fit into the easy box that that a lot of developers tried to put drugs into. But that is definitely something that is going to play a factor in the future as the FDA kind of, you know, if if federal legalization happens and and the FDA takes on cannabinoids and they treat them like like they would treat any other drug, which is what I would assume they would do. That will definitely be something that will have to be addressed, especially if it wants to be commercialized for a larger patient population than things like Epidiolex, which are given special treatment because they're released under the orphan drug program and are only required to be, or only for a very small population of patients with very little other treatment options. So the FDA makes more lenient rules for those kinds of those kinds of applications. And that's the orphan drug program is mm-hmm. when, okay. Yeah. So basically, it's the idea that if you have a small patient population has to be below a certain number of people, and the condition is severe enough, and there's not enough medication, then the approval process becomes a lot easier. So instead of spending the, what, it's like $2 billion or more dollars that you have to on a brand new drug application in NDA, they take a lot of that red tape out and proving things like bioavailability, which we discussed earlier, usually has to be above a certain threshold. Those requirements get lowered or negated entirely. So you don't have to have the the 57% bioavailability or whatever you, you would have to have. Typically, you can go with a lower one as long as you're showing that the net improvement is worth the lack of refinement for the patient population you're trying to treat. So a little bit is better than nothing is essentially the idea behind that kind of a program. Got it. Just to go back to something you said earlier, I think I had this totally wrong and I've had this wrong my whole life. I thought that when you took an edible, you shouldn't eat. And I think what you said was that you should eat because then the digestive juices are already going. Mm -hmm. And I had always thought of it as if you eat and you have food in your stomach and then you put an edible on top of it, then it totally gets lost in the food and then you don't feel anything. 
It's interesting. And I think some drugs actually do function that way, weirdly enough. I mean, there's no there's no hard and fast rules. But to my knowledge, especially with hydrophobic drugs, typically, yeah, we do see that that when you eat and you you start to activate genes that produce enzymes that that help destroy or break down or, or, you know, transport the broken down components of whatever food you're eating, the oils, the fats, that sort of thing, that it will improve the overall absorption of the cannabinoids into your lymphatic system. So for somebody who's looking to buy an edible, you said that there's some products where you just kind of skip the whole digestion issue altogether, mm-hmm. and there, it's able to bypass that. Does it say that on a product? Like, what are you looking for when you look at edibles? <laughs> It doesn't. I think uh, it's it's hard to communicate that to to the average person. Not not because it's hard to understand. I just think you know, I, we've been talking for about fifteen minutes, and everything I said could be put on a box, and it would just about describe it. <laughs> no, I think the way to tell is to just kind of know what products you're going after, know how each of them get delivered. Uh, there's some basic research you can do into that, and then understand that with ingesting edibles specifically, uh, that is always going to be kind of the baseline. So you know. Easiest way to, to test how that's working for you is to just try different products. Um, but you can keep an eye out for certain terms like nanotechnology or fast acting or encapsulated. Those are words that are commonly associated with techniques used to uh, get around that improved bioavailability of edibles. How well they function is dependent on the brand and their execution. But those are the kind of terms that you'd want to look for. And then just to go back to what we were talking about, like the best consumption format to deliver to your cannabinoid system your endocannabinoid system. You said injection, but I have never seen a bunch of THC, you know, people shooting THC in alleyways or anything like that. I I would hope not because (laughs) at this point, I mean, (laughs) that is the best way from a theoretical standpoint as far as the, you know, actual bioavailability. There's also something called patient compliance that's discussed a lot. And we're talking about recreational products here too, but I think the term still works which is how likely is it or how easy is it for the person using it to use it. So injections have some of the lowest patient compliance. Uh, Edibles, ingestibles, oral delivery systems have some of the best. Inhalation tends to be a good one too because inhalation uh, uses your alveoli and your lungs to transport cannabinoids directly in your bloodstream. You actually still do get uh, some of the the breakdown in your lungs from the CYP450 enzymes because they also exist there. And the bioavailability isn't amazing, but it's certainly better than it is for a typical edible. And it's good enough. And also the the format's familiar enough to a lot of people that, you know, there's no reason to inject THC because smoking it does exactly the same thing and, and provides no, no lesser benefit over injection. We also discussed hydrophobicity. So in order to do it in, in injection anyways, in a way that would be, you know, non-harmful, uh, you would still have to treat the cannabinoids in a way that allowed them be- to become water soluble, at least just to get them into solution in order to inject. So yeah, there's a reason you don't see it. It's because it sucks. It's not going to make it any better. And honestly, when they've done experiments injecting people with THC back in the day, which is a long time ago that this happened, uh, they found that pure THC injections caused um, a lot of paranoia and a lot of anxiety. So I think people have found that cannabinoids work better when they're ingested with other cannabinoids and they typically uh, get a better feeling when they don't get a high dose of pure THC directly to their bloodstream. Okay, so then edibles versus smoking or vape, which one's a better consumption format? On average for delivery of cannabinoids and higher bioavailability, inhalation is the better one for now. That being said, I think at this point we're starting to see and and not to to my own horn, but myself included, some technologies coming around that are going to surpass inhalation as far as the amount of milligrams delivered 
per gram consumed, basically. And um, onset of inhalation would be faster. Onset of inhalation is about five to 15 minutes, sometimes a little quicker even. But typically, yes, it would be faster. But it's actually a good metric for how well you're getting around the you know, bioavailability issues of edibles is how quickly those onset. So that's why those rapid onset edibles that you see, you know, if they're truly hitting you within five minutes, five to seven minutes, you know, they're actually probably bypassing your your lymphatic system and your liver about as well as the the inhalation is at that point. I've seen two prototypes for products recently from the venture capital side of things. One was a nasal spray and then one was like an inhaler because I know vaping and smoking sometimes still weirds people out. So nasal spray versus inhaler, what do you think? It's hard to say. I did research on nasal sprays a while ago. They're actually a pretty promising format. The issue there is probably more patient compliance. Again, not everybody loves to shoot things up their nose, uh, myself included. Um, But it's not the worst. Uh, There is a high concentration of CYP450 enzymes in your nose as well, though. So you definitely have to do some certain treatments to cannabinoids or, or, you know, modify their delivery form to to avoid them getting totally destroyed in your nose. And you're also going to want a good particle size that doesn't cause them to, to you know, clog <laughs> or, or get, uh, you know, condensed there. But it's hard to say. I think they're both pretty valid. Different ways of delivery for sure. I personally would prefer, I think, an inhaler. I've also tested a dry powder inhaler recently, which is very interesting and, and um, a uh, propellant-based inhaler, neither of which have any combustion. And I think that's really cool. So that kind of takes away some of the the uh, stigma and, and fear around, you know, vapes or, or uh, joints or whatever you would smoke. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard for me to say. I think that would almost come down to personal preference. And then just how well is each one working? You know, at the end of the day, that's going to be I think the best metric is if you're able to get better effects out of the nasal spray, but the you know, and the com- patient compliance is, is good, and people don't mind taking it, then that's probably a you know, better option. Thank you so much. I think we could probably sit here and talk all day about this, but that is really all the time that we have. So thank you very much for joining me. And I'm excited to hear about all the new products that you're coming out with. That's great. This has been very entertaining. And I hope that the listeners heard some information to help enrich their lives and maybe help them select an edible or two in the future. As always, thank you for listening to Let's Get Clear. If you enjoy our show, please like, subscribe, and follow us on social media. This is Monica Pina, and remember, the journey is yours. Find joy and enrich your life. 